0: Jody, that was beautiful. What an awesome song. That's a just a good time to say amen again, isn't it? I'll tell you what, talking about the cross, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was last week, it just seems time's running together, that I mentioned having crosses on the back wall, and Mary Burke, and who else helped you do that, Mary? Mary's not? She just left. Uh, Mary got us crosses on the back wall. You, you can turn a look real quick, see way really high on the wall, and so I appreciate that. And uh, so I have the clock and the cross in front of me, and uh, you can remain seated. I'm going to read God's word to us, and you guys have been up and down quite a bit, so we'll just stay seated for this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. And but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Lord, bless your word today. Bless us and help us to see more clearly uh, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever... um, See someone and not recognize them and you should recognize them. You ever have that happen? you ever look at somebody and you know they they, they look like somebody you, you think you know or they don't look like somebody you think you know, but you should know, and you're confused whether you know them or not. I'm confused just with that statement. The other day I was in the bank and, and I and I was doing something, and then I I looked up, and I casually saw somebody, or just saw them out of the corner of my eye, and I thought they were somebody, and then began talking to them like they were this person, but they weren't that person. (laughs) You know, awkward. I remember several years ago, we was coming from my... My father-in-law's retirement party. He retired from PNG and they had this big retirement party. And if you knew my father, father-in-law, you'd know why they partied when he left. Uh, but but they had this big retirement party for, for Jim. And as they were, as I was driving down I-75, this car pulled up and I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and this good looking lady was like waving at me, trying to get my attention. You know, and I, you know, I feel pretty good that this good looking lady's trying to get all you know my attention and stuff, but I'm feeling a little awkward because I'm afraid Tyrion will be coming up behind me and say, what's this good-looking lady trying to get his attention? And then I realized it was Terry trying to get my attention. <laughs> I told her later, but I didn't flirt at all, did I? Isn't that good? You know, you see, sometimes that happens. We see people, and we, we just don't, it doesn't register uh, maybe um, you ever had this happen where you're talking to somebody you're talking to a group of people then, then, then it's like hours later and you realize who that person is and you've had this whole conversation. not is it only me that has that happen? <laughs> maybe you go to the doctor. Or, or somebody says something to you or tells you something and it's really important. and for some reason you're distracted or you don't have what remember Jerry Lucas talked about those elephant ears. Are wrapped around the person, and so you don't register what they're saying. And, and, and like in the middle of the night, you wake up and go, oh, that was really important. I should have been paying closer attention. And, and you know, things like that happen where what, we, we see, but we really don't see. <laughs> we hear, but we really don't hear. And this series is an invitation to really see Jesus. Now, every time we gather, every time we come into this place, I fully believe at the the core of my philosophy of ministry and worship is this very foundation that if we do not come into the contact with Jesus Christ in every service, then we are wasting our time. I, I believe that. I believe what I say. You know, I work really hard on sermons. We, I, I know our musicians work really hard to present worship. All that we do is plan. We work really hard at it. But if we work really hard and we don't find ourselves in the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit, I don't believe we're going to accomplish a lot. I mean, that's fundamental to me. So I believe every time we gather at the center of our gathering is this ideal that Jesus Christ is present and in his presence there's transformation, right? I mean, that that is the importance and that is why many churches... Um, serve communion, receive communion weekly because it's that tangible, physical reminder of the presence of Jesus Christ. You, you can taste it. You can smell it. That, that's why some more traditional churches, you go in and, and there's an incense or there's a smell because they want people to be aware that there is an unseen presence. And we believe in this place, right? Right? that as we have gathered, we have gathered in the presence of Christ. And there really is, I've seen churches that put this on their front wall, there is one person in our audience, and it is God. (laughs) God is the audience, we're not the audience. And in his presence, there's transformation. And so this series has been an invitation to really look at Jesus, to to pay attention, to focus on Jesus and not just Jesus in the manger and not just healing Jesus and not just storytelling, parable telling Jesus but to consider Jesus crucified. We believe in the cross and we believe the crucifixion of Jesus is effective for salvation and important to who we are as Christians. We are people of the cross, right? And, And so these two weeks... We're focusing on Jesus crucified, and last week we talked about Jesus crucified and, and what it means in relationship with my relationship with God. And ne- this week we're going to talk about our relationship with others, how we live with others. Next week we're going to talk about hope. I got to tell <laughs> I'm weird, right? You know, so so I'm usually a couple weeks ahead in sermon preparation. And so I've been working all week on Easter. (laughs) For one reason, I'm working on Easter because I'm moving Holy Week. I am not a smart person. And so I needed to be working last week. So all last week, or a good part of last week, I'm working on Easter. I'm going to preach my Easter sermon today. (laughs) Because we're going to talk about finding ourselves face-to-face with the resurrected Christ. And face-to-face with the resurrected Christ, there is hope. I can't preach that, though. We're talking about Jesus on the cross. And, and, and the scripture that we read talks about the effect of this face-to-face encounter with Jesus. It goes back to this Old Testament re- reference. And, and, and some commentaries that you'll read talking about this will even go so far as it's the ideal of when Moses would go meet with God, his face would demonstrate or shine with the glory of God. And, 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 and you know, I've always kind of thought, well, Moses wore the veil Uh, to to keep people from seeing God's glory, that it was too much for them. But in the scripture, and I read this in several translations, in the scripture reference, Paul's saying, no, Moses wore the veil so they couldn't see that the glory was fading. As a matter of fact, some commentary writers will take this scripture and say, well, what this means is that when, when Moses read what God revealed, he left his face uncovered so they could really see the glory of God, but then he put a veil on So they couldn't see that that glory was fading. In other words, that that encounter, because the cross had not happened, because the Holy Spirit had not come in the way that he came at Pentecost, this glory that Moses experienced, that just hit me. That glory that Moses experienced is not like the glory we experience that, that somehow, through the work of the cross, and somehow through, the, through Pentecost, God's glory can shine fuller in us. than dare we say Moses? <laughs> but that's kind of what the scripture's saying that, you know, glory. Moses wore this veil because, you know, the glory was fading. He had that encounter, but it was just an encounter. It was in the past. It wasn't present. It wasn't living. It wasn't walking with him. Then he goes back and begins to talk about. The Jews reading the Scripture with a veil over their hearts, and and you have this image of reading Scripture without a full understanding or a fading understanding, a, you know, just not quite getting it. It's seen but not seen. It's it's knowing. You ever have this happen where there's a song that keeps playing in your head, but you can't put a name on the song? Isn't that frustrating? Or you know, you're you're trying. You know, there's. There's this feeling that there's something you need to tell somebody. I have this feeling a lot. Does anybody else? Yeah. You know, I'll walk in the kitchen and I can't remember why I walk in the kitchen, so I just eat. I figure that. And then, verse 18. It, it changes. It changes from this frustration of not being able to put everything together. I mean, that that's kind of the... If you were going to sum this up, there's this whole idea that they just can't wrap it up, put it together, put it in their hearts. Christ changes this. And Christ removes the veil. Amen. <laughs> And we behold His glory through the Spirit. And and the Scripture says we are being transformed from glory to glory by finding ourselves in the presence of Christ. See, the presence of Christ brings transformation. When we read the Word, when we worship, when, when we serve, when we give... When we do all these things, transformation happens through the power of the Holy Spirit bringing the presence of Christ alive through the word and present to us. And so it's in this presence that transformation occurs. And and this series is a reminder of the real presence of the crucified Christ. It gives meaning. It, It removes the veil and last week we saw that the crucified Christ reminds us of God's great love for us. I don't know, I, 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 I still can't get over God's love for us. And, and, and maybe you've come into this room and your circumstances or, or what others have said... Have said about you have have transformed your image that you're not worthy. I want you to know that you are worthy. It does not matter what grandma or grandpa said about you. It does not matter what mom and dad said about you. It does not matter what a spouse or ex spouse has said about you. It does not matter what your boss or your employer has said about you. It does not matter what your kids think about you. It does not matter your level of education. It does not matter what kind of job you have. It does not matter the color of your skin. It It does not matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. God loves you. And as you've walked into this room today, and wherever you find yourself this week, by the way, God loves you enough to send his son to die in your place just so he can hold you close. And and finding ourselves... Face to face with the crucified Christ should remind us of that. You know, we we should see the nail prints in his hands, and seeing the nail prints, we should realize how much we're loved. But it does more than just remind us of the love. The love moves us. See, I I think when when we find ourselves in the presence of the crucified Christ, we realize we're called to more. (laughs) Larnell Harris. Anybody remember Larnell Harris? There's a few of you over 50 in here. That's not nice. No, it wasn't, was it? Sorry, Jody. You probably raised your hand, didn't you? Jody and I are the same generation. We may be close to 50, but we look a lot younger, don't we? Yeah? I have to color my beard white so that I don't look too young, and uh, that's why I do that. Lorna Harris wrote a song, and I can't remember what the song was called, but the phrase has always stuck with me. It says, you paid much too high a price for me, for my heart to be stirred at times, but never truly changed. In other words, we stop and consider the cross, and we consider what God has done on our behalf through Jesus Christ. There is this ideal that it's calling us to something more than Ordinary come face to face with the crucified Christ. We realize that there's a call in our life as well. Matthew, it's, it says it like this. Jesus says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake... We'll find it and this is an interesting thing that when, when Jesus is giving these words when Jesus is giving this instruction it is before his cross it is, it is before the crucifixion it is, it is before his time on Mount Calvary and, and and even to the disciples who are hearing these words I, I think it would be very difficult to understand the meaning when Jesus is using this symbol of the cross as a symbol of discipleship See, it's before the cross that Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And and so in saying that, I think we can have the understanding that that Jesus has already taken up his cross, even though he's not taken up a literal cross yet. So so what does it mean to take up a cross and follow Jesus? It's it's more than a literal cross. cross. It's, It's more than just martyrdom. Every once in a while, you'll hear people, and, and Terry will usually say it with reference to me, you know, you're like, well, I'm, I'm married to Paul. That's my cross I have to bear, right? <laughs> don't look at your spouse. We don't want any fights. But, you know, there's this ideal that when bad things happen, circumstances, circumstances become the cross I have to bear. And, and, and that somehow that, 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 you know, if it's a bad thing that's going on in my life, that's my cross to bear. But I think there's a deeper meaning than just bearing bad things. I I think there's more than a a literal cross and more than just martyrdom, but I think it goes to the source of why did Jesus die? See, I don't think Jesus came just to suffer and die for the sake of suffering and dying. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. That's why Jesus died on a cross. And to be honest, Jesus loves us. This we know, right? We've sing the song. Jesus didn't die on a cross because he loved you. He died on the cross because he was completely obedient to his father's will. And in his obedience, he demonstrated the love of God in our life. Matter of fact, you find him in the garden, watch Jesus praying. He's praying, You know, Lord, if there's another way, <laughs> I'd like to take option B. You know, if there's something other than a cross, Lord, reveal it, but not my will, but your will. See, it was all about obedience. It was all about following the will of God. And and, in John 6, 38, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, this cross that Jesus bore, this cross this cross that Jesus took on what was not just about martyrdom and suffering, but it was about obedience. The cross demonstrates ultimate obedience to the will of the Father. And Jesus is demonstrating what obedience to his Father looks like. So what's our own cross? When you, when you consider this, it's, it's not about just suffering for the sake of suffering. Even, even heathens have bad things happen in their life, right? Right? E- even a pagan can have a difficult day. So it's got to be something more than just going through bad things. And, and it's got to be more than a literal cross because I don't think I've ever seen a crucifixion live, right? Has anybody ever seen a literal? I was afraid somebody go raise their hand. I'm glad you didn't. And I don't, you know, probably, most likely, you never know in our world, no one in this room is going to be crucified. Probably no one in this room, you never know in this world, will be martyrdom. martyred, And so the cross has to have some deeper meaning than that. And, and I, I think it's this, to bear my cross is to be obedient to the Father. Wherever that leads. If, if I want to bear my cross, that the question I have to ask myself is not where can I suffer, but where is God calling me to be obedient in my life? What is his word telling me? What is his spirit telling me? What, what is God asking me to do? Bonhoeffer writes, True discipleship is adherence to the person of Jesus and therefore submission to the law of Christ, which is the law of the cross. The law of the cross is obedience. So, so, where does obedience begin? And we can go to Matthew chapter 24, and I'm not going to read it this, or 22, I'm not going to read it this morning, but the great commandment, right? They asked Jesus, what, Tell us, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, Love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every commandment. Every law is, is found in these two commandments. If you live loving God fully and loving your neighbor, then you'll fulfill all the law. Then you get to first John 3 and, and, and there's 1 John 3, if you read through it, he, he begins to talk about love and obedience and being obedient to, 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 to God and, and how you know loving your neighbor is found in obedience. And and there's just Back and forth, obedience, love, obedience, love, obedience, love. What I want you to see this morning is this, love and obedience are connected thoughts. Can I tell you how I'm going to speak kind of prophetically here? We're losing in our culture on the basis of love. And and in our culture, the media has given us this ideal of what love is, and and it's different at times than what love means in the church, isn't it? It is, right? Until we as the church truly define what love is, and not simply define what love is, but show what love is, we're going to lose this conversation. Now, now, personally, I believe if we define love by the basis of the cross, and we live the cross, even though though this is is something that we don't think, love's going to prevail. (laughs) Love will win the argument when love is based on the cross, and love is based on obedience. See, love and obedience are connected thoughts, and I wrote it down, it's in your notes. If your love does not live out obedience to God, it is not love. If in your love, you know, and see, we sometimes get mistaken in what love is. If we're having emotional feelings and doing things emotionally, but it is not borne out by obedience to God, then it's not love. But there's a corollary to that. There's a flip side. If your obedience does not show love, it's not obedience. Love and obedience are connected thoughts, ideas, two sides of one coin, and you can't have one without the other. You cannot live demonstrating love unless you are demonstrating obedience to your heavenly father and you cannot be obedient to your heavenly father unless you're are you guys confused yet? Everybody's looking confused. So how does this look practically? Cross-shaped love is not cross-shaped love is not simply an emotional response or an attachment to people or circumstances. Cross-shaped love is radical Practical obedience to the will of God. And I very carefully use those words, radical and practical, because I, I think oftentimes cross shaped obedience is best seen in just practically meeting the needs of other people. Jesus, on the night. He's betrayed, he's with the disciples, and, and nobody will wash each other's feet. And so Jesus gets up from the table, wraps a towel around him, and does the most practical thing you can do. He bends the, right, the dirt and grime off people's feet. Not, not some spiritual exercise, a physical need. So it's radical, and it's practical. And I, I thought, well, what's some, what are some words we that, that define our relationships with others, and I I thought 1 Corinthians 13 would, would be a good place to start. and It's noon. I'm, I'm almost done. Sorry. <laughs> and this first one will be key. Patience. <laughs> Isn't that appropriate? It, doesn't God have a mean sense of humor when, when the first definition of love is patience? You guys are just all patient. i got to tell you, this is one I struggle with. You know, patience, believe it or not, I know you guys are going to be, we're shocked, Pastor. Patience isn't my highest virtue. (laughs) You guys do look shocked. And probably, if you were honest, most of you, patience isn't your highest virtue. 1 Corinthians 13, be patient with one another. Obedient love. If we're going to show cross-style love, it begins with patience kindness <laughs> Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's given this highest standard of love he gives this little simple phrase kindness be kind to one another you know and these, these first two patience and kindness well, you're being tested right now because it's like three after twelve, okay? But today at lunch you'll go, and when the waitress says it's going to be 25 minutes, and it ends up being an hour and 25 minutes, so oh, pastor, that it, it, waiting in restaurants does not apply. You know, we we have free reign. I mean, can, can we still be patient and kind, and even give the person who waited on us a tip? <laughs> Have you ever heard, and I've heard this from other servers, the worst crowd to wait on is a Sunday after church crowd? (laughs) Oh, Lord, I hope that's not the case. Kindness, humility, not not this false humility that that you're lower than you are, but this uh, humility is understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, all that I am is found in Christ Jesus. But since all that I am is found in Christ Jesus, I'm fairly significant, right? (laughs) It's fairly significant to be a child of the Most High King, right? But I'm a child of the Most High King, not because I've earned it, but because God has freely bestowed it. So meekness, humility and meekness kind of run uh, together, humility and meekness. And meekness is not weakness, but meekness is strength under control. Moses was the most meek man who ever walked the face of this earth. The Old Testament writes this. Jesus was meek, but Jesus understood who he was. In In this example we gave a sermon in John 15, it says Jesus knew Where he came from, where he was going, he knew the Father had placed everything in his hands. And that awareness of understanding who he was, he could serve with meekness, with humility. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is radical, folks. You know, our culture, forgiveness is counterculture. And forgiveness can only be truly done when we are submitted to the law of the cross. I believe that. I believe one of the most radical things you can do in your life is truly forgive. Now, we'll, we'll preach on forgiving at some point, but forgiveness is not forgetting. As a matter of fact, if you've just forgotten, it's not a forgiveness, you've just got a bad memory, okay? For- forgiveness is letting go. And saying, God, judgment's not mine. Judgment's yours. And I'm letting this go. And I'm not going to take vengeance on this person. I'm not going to accelerate this conflict. And when you begin to think of it, forgiveness is more of a transaction between you and God than you and the other person. It's, it's entirely, God, here, here it is. You see, you know. Let me ask you. Are you practicing patience, kindness, humility, Forgiveness in your relationship with others, that is the law of the cross. When we stop and we look face-to-face with Jesus, we, we realize that he's paid this high price to bring us into this fullness of this relationship with God, and in the fullness of this relationship with God, he's inviting us. He's inviting us to live like he lived, to take up our cross and follow him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, um, I just don't feel like I do a, a, a good service to you at times in presenting these things. I got to tell you, when I, when I stop and I, I think about the love of my God poured out on a cross, it's overwhelming. And Lord, during this season, we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time focused on the, focused on the cross and focused on the resurrection. And it gives me hope. It gives me hope, not only that that my sins are forgiven, which is pretty awesome, but it gives me a belief that you're calling us to something more. Lord, we're holiness people. We believe that God doesn't save us and leave us where we are and and save us for some day when we're dead for heaven. But we believe you want to inhabit our life, and you want to change us from the inside out. And then these words that says, take up your cross and follow me, are not just inspirational, but they're practical instruction to how we live our life. So Lord, make your word come alive to us. And as we go from this place, Lord, May we be people of the cross, not just because we have pledged allegiance to a Savior who died on a cross, but we're bearing the cross of obedience in our life. And in our obedience, we're demonstrating the love of our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Bless these people. Go with them, Lord. Lift them up. Encourage them. And may they, may they truly bring glory to your name today and all that they do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.